Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to From the Editor's Desk, a podcast where myself and Kyle Rasur, Editor-in-Chief at Compliance Week, unpack some of the top stories which have or will appear in Compliance Week each month. We look at the top compliance stories, talk some sports, and generally try to solve the world's problems. In this episode, Kyle and I take a look at some of the top Compliance Week stories from November and preview some of the upcoming stories for the month of December. In our sports segment, we take a look at the final full season, full month rather, of this month's NFL season, look at the World Cup and the USA moving to the knockout round, and conclude by asking, should Tom Brady have retired in 2022 and stayed retired? From the Editor's Desk is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to From the Editor's Desk, a podcast where we unpack some of the top stories which have or will appear in Compliance Week. Look at some of the top stories, talk some sports, and generally try to solve the world's problems. I'm your co-host, Tom Fox. And I'm Kyle Brasser, Editor-in-Chief at Compliance Week. I'm thrilled to once again join Tom, where we'll be talking about some of the top stories at Compliance Week, looking ahead to what we have coming down the pipe for the rest of the year. And also, like Tom mentioned, we'll talk some sports, we'll solve your problems, we'll do it all. So Kyle got a hard copy issue, so always enjoy that. Some I thought some really interesting articles, but maybe we start off with what were some of the highlights from you and your team, or at least you felt were from your team from November? Yeah, we had our fall print magazine go out not that long ago, which featured a special report on emerging technologies. And we had also had a story that we did in collaboration with Mia Rainey, who's the head of compliance at Home Depot, where she was talking about some of the changes that they made in their program during the pandemic to make it more closely mirror a lot of the suggestions from the department in their evaluation of corporate compliance programs. Good to have that magazine out. Right now, we're working on our winter print magazine. We'll talk about that a little bit more where we start to look at some of the stories we have coming down the pipe. But in terms of November, for myself, I had taken some time away this month. Some of it was playing catch up a little bit. But one of the big things that happens every November, especially for us and our audiences, is when the SEC publishes its uh, enforcement report. And that came out in the middle of the month this month. I do believe I want to say it was around November 15th or so. And a a record year for enforcement. That's always going to catch your eye. A lot of that is tied up in some several enforcement actions that are quite large, most notably that. $1.8 billion crackdown on big banks over messaging apps. But all the same, the suggestion is this isn't going to be a sort of an outlier. They're looking for the consistency in in these numbers and really making sure that the message is sent across. Always notable when those sort of numbers come through. And then aside from that, we've just been keeping tabs on what's been coming on through the news. We had a fun story this month that actually relates to a sitcom that seems to be uh, to NBC potentially as soon as next year, where John Cryer is going to be playing a compliance officer. So that's always fun to see. Compliance is entering the mainstream, it seems. Just uh, an overall, some interesting stories to tide through as we get toward the end of the year and things start to slow down with the holidays. Let me spend a little time unpacking the Mia Ramey story at Home Depot, because that resonated with me for several reasons. I interviewed Mia before Compliance Week 2022 about her presentation. And her presentation was on how Home Depot had actually taken the evaluation of corporate compliance programs and the update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs and used that as a metric to assess their own compliance program, remedy any deficiencies 
and have that information available in a documented auditable form if a regulator, either the DOJ, SEC, or other, ever came knocking. So we had that story told on a podcast in May or April. And of course, we had the Compliance Week conference. And I wanted to start by asking you, did, did you guys know of her story before Compliance Week 2022, or did you listen to her presentation and find it to be so powerful or valuable, you really wanted to follow up in the way you did for both the online and print magazine? Yeah, for us, it's all about really different mediums. We knew going into the conference what Mia was going to be talking about. That's one of the reasons we recruited her to speak at the conference. Listening to your podcast, we did a Q&A with her before. It's really just a matter of our audience and trying to reach them in as many different ways as possible. When we do a podcast interview with someone or we do a session at one of our conferences, it's how can we continue to portray the story along to different segments of our audience. For those individuals that maybe weren't so fortunate to attend our event, if we feel that there is a deeper story to be told, a different way to tell a story, that's something we're always going to pursue. I think one of the things that really drew us to this story in particular was just how approachable it was. This is not something that Home Depot did that only Home Depot was capable of doing. Any company can do this same exact thing, taking a look at these publicly available documents from the DOJ and game planning how they would react if they were put on the spot by the regulator or the agency. So that's why we really wanted to tell this story in as many formats as possible. But who's to say really what's, what comes of it or whatnot, but this might inspire someone to maybe take a similar approach. It's worked for one company and they've gotten a lot out of it. Maybe it could work for your company. That's always something where when we look at a story and how many different ways we're going to tell it, a lot of it is really that impact that it could have. But that's what we're trying to do is be an information service to the compliance community. And the best way to do that is to just relay stories from the people who are doing the same exact job as our audience. And that storytelling component was the second reason this resonated me with me so powerfully, because it was a story of a company that used basically public information that was that's available to everyone in a in their own compliance program, but told that story and told it in a way that as you said, someone listening to it or hearing her or reading about it in the print magazine could say, we could do this. We could look at this. We can break this down. And whenever you can have those sorts of actual real world world examples, they're incredibly powerful. And I never got to, I did tell Mia, but I wish we could communicate to their corporate comms department. Thank you for letting her tell this story because I thought it was incredibly important for the entire compliance community to see how those tools can be used and used effectively going forward. Yeah. And I think the real beauty of this is there's not really any alienating aspect of it. I've had some conversations with folks after conferences and whatnot, where they'll say to themselves, yeah, I attended this session and this company was talking about how they built this really great data analytics framework. But for me and my company, I don't have the budget to do that. It's an admission that is levied against it. Whereas with this one, like said, these are publicly available documents that are just online to consume it and to spend some time around it. It doesn't take anything more than manpower. I think that was really what set this apart for us is let's take a look at a company that's doing something that any, really any company could do if they're willing to put the time and effort in. So how will Compliance Week think about handling or reporting FTX? Oh boy. Yeah. We've touched on it a little bit and a lot of it for us, we just, we're a bit of a smaller publication and we have to work within those limits. So sometimes we will wait 
and see how a story plays itself out, especially FTX. We could talk about as we're recording this podcast, Twitter, all these things that are changing day by day. It really takes, it's beneficial for us to take a step back, especially because we're writing for a compliance audience here. They really want to understand what the due diligence and risk management lessons learned are. And sometimes those always just continue to evolve. So far we've touched on it. We had our writer, Aaron Nicodemus, who wrote a column, basically citing the FTX case as an example of why we need some sort of regulatory clarity over the crypto industry. It's, it, it, is it to say that it would have prevented this from happening? We don't know, but at least if you're putting checks and balance in place, it can help to prevent these sort of things. And that's obviously something that a lot of people have been saying for a long time. In, in terms of future coverage of some of the stuff we had planned, it was really eye-opening to read the remarks from the new CEO, the person who also saw Enron through its bankruptcy and saying some of these internal controls at FTX were some of the worst he's ever seen. When the guy who... Was that Enron said that it really raises your eyebrows. We do have some stuff that'll be coming in the next couple of weeks, looking at that and really getting into those aspects of it. For us, it's, we're going to see how this plays out and it's going to play out. It's going to play out from a regulatory standpoint. We're already seeing it play out in the crypto industry with, I do believe BlockFi just also filed for bankruptcy. It's a lot of people that are getting left in the lurch as a result of this and a lot of really strong compliance lessons to be learned for other businesses even if you're not necessarily in cryptocurrency but maybe you have that ceo that sort of is the company in a sense and really can have a lot of effects we saw that with uber when they had travis as their ceo for a long time it's sometimes those instances where you have one person that is the business the really strong lessons can be learned from that across industry could I ask you to turn your head towards December now and maybe give us a preview of some of the things your staff or yourself have been working on that will come out in the month of December? Yeah, Tom, we've talked about it, I think, the last couple of podcasts because this is a really long-running project for us, but the payoff finally comes through in December. We'll have all of the stories from our Inside the Mind of the CCO special report coming out on our website. The current plan is to have those going out, I do believe, the second week. of. We actually had about five stories total. They'll also be featured on our winter print magazine, where we really focus on some of the key elements of what we were asking in this year's survey. One of those, sur- those stories is going to be focused on reliability concerns, another one focused on recession preparation, And then another one focused on the pain points of compliance with the SEC's climate-related disclosure rule. So one of the things we we set out to do with this year's survey was to really keep a lot of our questions open-ended or explain your answer, because we find that there's a lot of value in that. It's not just, hey, I think the Department of Justice's certification program is bad for compliance. Why do you think it's bad for compliance? And that's what we really leaned into in a lot of our stories. It's just people explaining their views on all of these topics. So... That'll be rolling out next month. And then we also will do a lot with year in review. Each year we do a list of five ethics and compliance failures that really caught our attention that we think define the year. I say, don't be surprised if you see FTX among it, but uh, it's, that's a strong piece for us every year. We should have that one publishing online early. I also take a look each year. I, I try to, to, to highlight what I believe are five sort of moments of strong demonstrable compliance. I think every year I always put the same preface on the piece, the best Compliance stories of the year often go unheard. That's just the nature of this job is the bad news gets a lot of coverage and the good things, no news is good news. It's really just an acknowledgement of five things that I think caught my attention from a strong compliance standpoint. And then we'll also just be looking ahead toward 2023 and what to expect. We're we're taking a look at the SEC now that we have a Republican-led House of Representatives, what's going to change there. The expectation that, I think, what was it? One of the new reps, I want to say, said Gary Gensler should get a caught ready to sleep for the outside the house financial services committee 
with how often he's going to be in front of them. But that type of stuff is always going to have effects on, um, on the compliance profession, especially with some of the controversial rules that are out there, most notably that climate related disclosure rule, which the agency had hoped to finalize by the end of this year, but it's starting to look like that's going to spill over into 2023. The, uh, and I think we're all greatly looking forward to the inside the mind. I know it's a big highlight for me and for you guys as well, and indeed the entire industry. So that's going to be great to, to get that out in those articles and really get a little more depth into the information you guys have been able to develop. As we move towards year end and things start to slow down, I also look forward to your top five lists of both good and bad and some of the challenges, but also some of the success stories because uh, you're right, we don't all often hear about those. And if I can tie that back into Mia and the Home Depot experience, that's one of the reasons I found her story so compelling is it, it stuck, struck me as a real success using some publicly available tools really anybody can use. And uh, I hope people would have used those tools in that way. So I was really, really gratified to see that. Now let's talk about a little sports. I love December because it means... The NFL season gets real and it gets meaningful. And this year, I'm not quite sure if this is the one of the most significant transition years I've seen, but it's not playing out in a way I expected at all. And some teams did really well early. The New York teams come to mind. Maybe they're taking a step back or moving back into the middle, but it was sure fun to watch the Jets win while it lasted. And so we've had things like that. And obviously Tampa Bay and Tom not looking as good as we might have expected. The Super Bowl champs are just in a tailspin. But any real surprises for you or is the surprises we've had just what you would have expect from any season. I didn't expect half of what's been going on in the NFL this year. I think the league has really been playing the parody up to an 11. With a lot of sports, things tend to go the same every year. The Yankees are going to be the Yankees and the teams that spend big are going to do well and all that. But with the NFL this year, it's really just been open season. It's I could go on and on about the things that have caught me off guard. I, I think the main thing that surprised me the most, and I, I think we may have even talked about this in a previous podcast, is just how ineffective the Green Bay Packers have been with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably the most the, the best at the position at this point in time between him and Patrick Mahomes and some of the other guys, but it's just it hasn't worked there. It hasn't worked at all, and it just seems there's just something something's out of place there and of course i look at a lot of things from a compliance perspective because that's my nine to five and you just you feel like the culture's off something's not right there and, and nobody's really buying into what's going on i think that's the thing that's caught me off guard the most but i think that's the beauty of the nfl compared to some of these other leagues is because it's not the warriors have steph curry and they're going to be good as long as they have steph curry it's really Anything can happen any single year. So there's been a lot of, of real pleasant surprises. I think when I watch games on Sunday, I find myself really interested in some of these young players that are really emerging. It's really great to watch to attack of Iloa, start to figure it out in Miami as, as they're doing with fan, maybe not the best, but it's good to see that come on. It's good to see Jalen Hurts getting his legs under him in Philadelphia. At the end of the day, these are the people who are still going to be watching five years from now. So to start to see them now, it's really exciting. The, the surprise for me has been Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. And the surprise for Hertz was really around, he was always a running quarterback. He was a running quarterback in college at Alabama. And his first couple of years in the NFL, I thought he was a very good athlete. He really lacked the passing skills. And this year, they've been able to tailor their offense a little bit more to his running. But also, much like Josh Allen, he's improved his passing skills 
in a way I didn't think he could at the professional level. And really, Allen, his first couple of years, I didn't think was an elite NFL passer quarterback. He did a lot with his legs. Jalen Hurts has been the big surprise for me. And the other thing that I absolutely love about football is there's nothing new in football. These guys are running single wing formations from the thirties and it's revolutionary. So I ran a wishbone when I was in high school and we were an option team. And that's what RPO is. It's just an option. Or when Philadelphia beat new England in the Super Bowl and they ran that pass at a quarterback. Yeah. yeah, The Philly special. We had that play in ninth grade, that exact same play. So I just love that. Yeah. But with this emphasis on running and the guy who's intrigued me actually the most, because I think he's the most exciting athlete is Justin Fields at the Chicago Bears. But what I worry about with these quarterbacks is if they're going to be real running backs, how long are they going to last? You mentioned Jalen Hurts in five years. If he runs like this, I don't know if he can make five years everybody's a stud in the NFL and it takes, I remember when Tim Tebow got hurt running the ball, it was a safety who separated his shoulder. It wasn't even one of the big guys. So I just worry about the length of time. We'll see these really outstanding athletes doing these essentially single wing plays, but it sure is exciting for me. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that still remains to be proven by a lot of these dual threat quarterbacks we've had coming into the league for the last five plus years or so is they make a, they can make an immediate impact. You can have a Lamar Jackson who's playing MVP caliber two years in, but where are they seven or eight years down the road? And we saw this play out already with Cam Newton, where I think that his career aged him a little bit quicker than it probably should have. And this was a guy with all the talent in the world on both sides of the ball, but the longevity is really a question mark with a lot of these dual threat quarterbacks. We're starting to see, I think Patrick Mahomes came into the league with a little bit of that. And I feel like now he's maturing more as a passer and less as a runner and starting to make that transition as he starts to really become a league veteran. And it's going to be interesting to see how those other guys make the transition. When you watch Josh Allen now, you are just sitting there and hoping and praying when that guy runs because he does not slide at all. He will go full barrel into somebody and maybe that's fun to do when you're in your mid-20s, but man, it catches up to you real quick. We both know that. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they make that adjustment. It's really, it's not worth ruining your career for one or two extra. There's also another sporting event halfway across the world for the first time ever. We have a winter World Cup. And as we're recording this, I'm thrilled to report the USA is into the knockout round, having defeated around one nil, as they would say. And... I, I felt like Qatar bought these games and that uh, they built these impressive stadiums using labor practices that we probably wouldn't tolerate here. But at the end of the day, it's about the soccer, or as my wife would say, it's about the football. And it has been fabulous. We've seen some great upsets. Saudi Arabia was in a huge upset over Argentina. Germany lost. And we had, and now the USA is through. And so I guess the question I want to pose to you is, as troubling as the lead up to these games were, I'm a fan and I've been sucked in. And it's a sporting event like no other. And at the end of the day, is it really just about the sports or should we think of it in some other way? 
Oh boy, it's, it's tough. It's always hard to separate the two. There's a bit of guilt that you feel when you are consuming it and you are basically feeding the beast, so to speak. The league's going to make its money based off how many people are watching. But at the same time, it's not fair to the players to take the league's decisions out on them. So you're always caught between a rock and a hard place. And I, for me, just speaking individually, it's always just important to, to keep things in perspective. It's not that you can't watch it at all. If that was the case, I don't think we'd be watching the NFL. We're talking about another league that's had its fair share of really large issues in a lot of different areas. But you just you got to keep it in mind and consume. It's not it's not that you can't root for the Team USA because of all the stuff that FIFA's doing. At the end of the day, we all know that FIFA's had its criminal issues in the past. So it's not, I guess, the most surprising that they would do things not 100% above board. But it's always tough, I think, to reconcile the two. And so I think when I'm doing it, at least, consuming it in the moment, but still being mindful that there's a lot of stuff that, that really probably should have been done differently. And for our final topic, I wanted to take up someone I think we both admire, and that's Tom Brady. And I want to start off by posing the question, did he stay a season too long? He has publicly stated multiple times he wants to play until he's 45. Up until this year, he's certainly shown physically he's capable of that. But is this just a case of father time is undefeated? This really was a year too long? Or is something else going on? Even the team has dropped off a level that that can't really showcase the Tom and Tom Brady that you and I are used to, even at his age of 44. I think it's a little bit of everything. And if you look at the stats, it's not that Tom Brady is statistically the worst quarterback in the league. He's actually, he's pretty far from it. The yardage is there. I think he's what fourth in the league in yards and he's only thrown two interceptions and he's still making an impact on the game. But this is the way the NFL sort of works is sometimes you win the close games and sometimes you lose them. And I think the Buccaneers have found themselves on the other end of it a lot more this year. And it's really starting to show. But that said, I think it was a, just a massive mistake for him to return just from a, a PR perspective. And as a fan, it's a little annoying. I mean, just commit to one. When he came back, I thought it was a mistake. I still think it wasn't. Obviously, you can say what you want, and we'll see where he's at at the end of the year. And hey, if, if the Buccaneers make the playoffs, which is very likely coming out of the division they're in, I'm not counting Tom Brady out at all in the postseason. I think we've all learned that. You can't do that, no matter what. So I guess we'll see. Could very well have another Tom Brady Super Bowl. You never know. But for me, just as a fan, as an um, I think it was one year too many, mainly because of the way the retirement announcement was handled. I, I think it's always better to just go out and do it on your terms and in your own way and then stick by it. And I think there are probably some of his teammates that have strong feelings as well that are not necessarily public that think maybe they didn't care for how he handled things or maybe they don't care for how he's being treated with kid gloves on the team. Some of the, the extra things that he's allowed to do that they're not allowed to do. All that stuff. I think it plays a significant factor in the performance on the field. It's at the end of the day, all these players are human and they have their feelings. And sometimes that can be why, why things aren't going a team's way. For me, the quarterback who stayed a year or two too long was always why Tittle. And there's some pretty famous black and white photos of Tittle at the end of his career, really looking beaten and broken. And my initial fear was that was how Tom Brady would end. It, it hasn't happened. I hope it, it doesn't happen. But the, his last three years have been the following. Super Bowl, NFC Championship, and if he makes the playoffs, 
or any other human on earth, that'd be a pretty good three years. Yeah, you're, you're always compared against yourself. And exactly. And so maybe if you step back and look at that, I just had hoped he would go out as a winner. Yeah. And that's the thing with Tom is again, his, the benchmark he has stood against is Super Bowl or bust. And so if they don't win it, then at the end of the year, it's, it's a failure to him. And it, it's a failure in most of our eyes. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. There's even talk about if he'll continue beyond this season. I don't know. The guy defies all logic. But at the end of the day, like I said, if they, if they make the playoffs, which seems pretty likely, I wouldn't be surprised what happens. Well, Kyle, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to thank our audience for joining us. I am Tom Fox. And I'm Kyle Brasset. Thanks again for having me, Tom. Always enjoy the discussion. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of From the Editor's Desk. I hope that you will check out the new podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files. It's an exploration of some of the top anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years or so. Together with Mark DiBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, we take a deep dive into some of the top FCPA and other anti-corruption cases that have uh, percolated since 2008 or so. I know you'll enjoy it. It's a great wrap-up. From the Editor's Desk is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.